Jeremiah says this, Seek out the old paths. Jeremiah 6, 16 in the NIV. This is what the Lord says, Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the way is good and walk in it, and you'll find rest for your souls. So trust and belief. The scriptures never confuses the two. They are two completely different animals. When the scripture or the Lord asks us to believe, we find out that trust and belief are not synonymous or interchangeable because to believe something is just one aspect of the Christian walk. When we are asked to trust the Lord, that's another thing. Faith is active. It means when you're asked to believe something, you exert your will and your mind to believe you're called to do something active. If at this moment I said to you there's a bomb in the next room which will go off in 10 minutes, if you believe what I say, you will forthwith break camp. Your faith is active. What you believe will cause you to do something. If you just trust in this situation, you will find yourself being upwardly mobile if what I've said is true. Trust and belief, two different things. Trust is the passive side. It's something we need to learn to do when we can't believe. Because to believe is not the right response. It's the other part of our walk with the Lord. If we do not learn to trust, we're going to be in trouble. Trust is a necessity in the life of a believer. This is why it's so important that we understand the nature of God and his heart towards us and place our trust, faith and belief in that, in the person, the nature and the character of God himself. We place our trust in facts, rock solid, tried and tested facts about who God really, really is, his person, his nature and his character. How many times have you been in a situation, no hands up, and all you can hear is the Lord saying, trust me. He is building the pillars that will hold the bridge of faith across which you will need to walk, active, when he asks you to believe something. Faith is active, trust is passive. Psalm 37, 5 Trust in the Lord and he will bring it to pass. You trust, leave him to bring it to pass. No action necessary on your part other than trusting. You are not squeezing out a measure of faith. You're not hanging on by your fingernails. You are restful and in a place of trust in him. Notice please that the text doesn't say believe or have faith in. It says trust in the Lord. Proverbs 31.11 in the New American Standard in praise of a good wife says that her husband trusts her. It's a different thing altogether than saying he believes in her. Trust is relational. We trust someone we know. This husband knows his wife 
and he trusts her. You cannot trust God if you do not know him. You will not be able to cross the bridge of faith and believing to experience and knowledge unless you first learn what he's really, really like and you trust him. As a young Christian, there were things God was asking me to trust him over. I began to see a train and the engine was calling, called, was pulling one carriage. As I walked on with him, I saw other carriages added every time I was asked to trust him. And he reminded me of what had happened before when I gave the matter over to him. So one by one, another carriage went on the train until it was so long the point was taken and I no longer needed the visual aid. I trusted him. In our relationships with one another, trust cannot be given, it has to be built, just like my train. You cannot give somebody your trust, they have to earn it. You can say to someone when they say, meet you at 10 o'clock, I believe you, trust you, you'll be there then they don't turn up. Time and time again they don't do what they have said they will. The inexorable result is that you do not trust them. They have not earned your trust because they do not do what they say they will do. They have proved themselves to be unreliable by their actions. They said the right words but the action didn't follow. It happens in all relationships, scepticism creeps in and there's a reaction on the inside, I'll believe it when I see it. And it happens in our walk with the Lord. We get disappointed, disillusioned and isolated from him. But this time it is because of our misinterpretation of what he said to us. Trust then is relational. And there are two types of trust, lifestyle trust and situational trust. In situational trust we trust for certain things, events and circumstances and our speech reflects this, I'm trying to trust the Lord in this. Essentially he wants trust to become a lifestyle because we know who he is and what he's like so that every time we come into a situation or circumstance we turn straight to him. Everything is about coming into a deeper relationship. It's all about process. Connect with him. Connect with the Holy Spirit, the Comforter. We must learn to connect with him and know him in all things. We need to be experiencing him continually. In situational trust too, you'll probably be more conscious of time than timing. You're questioning how long, when will this end, consumed by how long it will take and the why question never gets answered. So we learn to ask better questions. For example, what does this mean? Another good question is what must I do? Or even what are you doing in me right now? Our immaturity is shown by our being concerned with time and a desire for deliverance. Our maturity is shown by being concerned with timing. You can actually advance the timing by the quality of your response. But remember God isn't fooled. 
You need to really be in a place of rest and trust while you wait. You can't say, I'm at peace, Lord, I'm waiting. You can do it now. When he knows that patently you are not. As we redeem the time, we are in timing with what God wants to do. Sometimes it can just be about him embracing you and saying, I'm with you. You can go through the fire then and come, without, come out without any smell. Moaning about how long ends up with a pity party. Sympathy is no good. It will make you wallow. Empathy lifts you. It comes alongside. Sympathy kills you off. You can see something in the wrong way. Your perspective is wrong. There's a better way of looking at this experience. There is a better way of thinking about this. 90% of the time you're actually in charge of your experience by the way you perceive it and the way you acknowledge it before God. When you trust in the provision of man, your perspective of God becomes limited. You're prone to be weary, tired, confused and confounded. Life's an ordeal. Rest in God and it won't be. The Holy Spirit will be brilliant. So situational trust is different from a life of trust. In situational trust, you're trusting God in and for a particular situation or outcome. In a life of trust, you have trust as a lifestyle. You're confident, relaxed, you know he's in complete control. No matter what chaos happens to surround your life at any given time, God is absolutely taking care of everything. You're in a place of trust and rest in him. You are aware of his sovereignty over all things, seen and unseen. You're at peace, living, connected to the vine. So let's look at faith. Faith requires obedience. When Jesus said, come to Peter, Peter stepped out of the boat in faith, trusting the one who bid him come. Faith is the aggressive part of the Christian life. It's by faith that I make progress. By faith I am healed. By faith I appropriate that which God promises me. Faith is the currency of heaven. It is what heaven does business with. Hebrews 11.6 tells us, But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Without faith it's impossible to please God. The faith is rewarded. Faith is the bridge over which we cross through our experience to knowledge. Our faith is based on our trust in who we believe God to be and what he said he will do in any given circumstance. We pass over the bridge of faith on the pillars of trust into knowledge and experience his trustworthiness. We go from faith to knowledge through experience and a man with an experience is beyond reason.
came the time for me personally when I just had to step out in faith, active, trusting, passive, the one who called me and believing, triggered my faith, that he had called. And if he hadn't, he was able to make a mid-course correction in my journey. Trust. I'll go through that again. I had to step out in faith which was active, trusting which was passive, the one that called me. The believing triggered my faith that he called me and my trust said he can make a mid-course correction if need be, if I get it wrong. We trust his love for us even though sometimes we cannot hear him or see him. When everything is going contrary to the way we want it to go, we trust him, believing he knows best and will work it for the best. As we trust, we experience his faithfulness and goodness towards us. As our experiences build one on another, we become stronger and fortified in what we know. Our knowledge of him increases every time we release our hearts to trust him. Sooner or later we have to trust, believe and move out in faith which will lead us to experience and knowledge. The conflict between faith and trust. However, there are times when there is a difference between what is and what ought to be. We ought to be healed but we're not. We ought to have sufficient money, but we don't have. Sometimes there is a tremendous internal and external contradiction and conflict between what ought to be and what is. What we think he should do and what he actually does. And sometimes we are in great conflict. Sometimes no matter how much faith you possess, things don't line up. And you find yourself in a place where God is saying, trust me. If you try to have faith or believe when God's saying, trust me, you'll end up one muddled and discouraged believer. David in Psalm 56.3 says this, When I am afraid, I will trust in you. David is saying, Father, I don't understand, but I trust you. This I know. God is for me. David's problem in this psalm is that which ought to be is not. So he's resting, trusting, passive. Trust is a place of uninterrupted joy and consistency. I trust you. I don't understand, but I trust you. I've set my heart to trust like an oven and I'm staying here until you say something else. Trust carries with it allegiance, fidelity and devotion. Three words we've largely lost from our vocabulary in these days. Allegiance, another word for loyalty, commitment and faithfulness. Fidelity, trustworthiness and reliability. Devotion encompasses loyalty, fidelity, dedication and affection. All are summed up in the one word trust and these are all from us to him. A definition of trust, faith, belief, hope, conviction, 
confidence, expectation, reliance and dependence. There are times when God just wants us to crawl up into his lap, look into his face and say, Father, I really do trust you in this. I'm frightened stiff. I don't understand a thing. I can't get my head around it, but I want you to know this. I trust you. Every time we trust him, we build a pillar which supports the bridge across which we must walk by faith into a knowledge of his faithfulness. Trust works maturity and transformation in us. There's no conflict between faith and trust. Faith is where we make progress, it's active. Trust is where God works in us transformation and maturity as we wait trustingly on him. Not for things to turn out the way we want them to turn out, but for him to resolve the issue the way he knows is best, best for us. Joyce Mayer, I think it is, who says, you cannot cast your care until you're satisfied with the outcome, whatever it is. You have to let go. You have to allow God to work the thing out in the way he wants to work it out. And then you can cast your care and you won't take it back again. If you cast it without being satisfied that he knows the best in the outcome, you'll never let it go. If you don't let go, you're trying to influence by your prayer the outcome. When you're trusting, you aren't trying to influence the outcome. You are resting in his nature and his wisdom and faithfulness that he will bring about what is best. No one can come into your life and help you unless you trust them. You may love someone but not trust them. This is exactly what happens with us and the Lord. We love him but because we haven't experienced we have experienced our trust being broken. Certain things didn't go as we thought they should. He didn't show as we thought he should. We find ourselves not trusting him. When the rent goes unpaid and we panic, we don't know how to come back to that place of trust and say, in this, I'm trusting you. If we see trust as a bridge too, trust is the bridge over which the truth travels that really changes us. The truth is, he hasn't let you down. You may have misinterpreted or misunderstood what he said to you and what he meant. Some years ago, someone we knew was told they were coming into something new in the next six months and they and those around them thought it was a new ministry. Six months later, they were dead. Everyone was devastated. Didn't God say they were coming into something new? Yes, he did, and she did, but we didn't understand. If you're listening to me right now, there's some kind of bridge of trust that's been built between us, or you wouldn't listen. Over that bridge is coming something that could change your life. If I'm going to come to you and say something that will change your life, this can only be done if there's some kind of bridge of trust over which you permit me to come. It's relational. 
If you won't allow me to speak to you or you won't listen to what I'm saying, you close the door to whatever I want to impart to you to bring you into a new place. How many of you know that that door is a drawbridge? So soon as somebody comes and wants to tell you something you don't like the sound of, down comes the portcullis, up goes the drawbridge, repel borders, friend or foe, husband, wife, whoever. If trust is not there, the castle door closes and we remain isolated. And we're not able to come into the life of another or draw alongside them. Have you barricaded yourself in your castle from the Lord? Trust must be built in our relationship with the Lord and in our relationships with each other. The absence of trust is suspicion and the effect is isolation. Eventually you find yourself totally alone. When the accuser comes and says God's unfair, God's mistreated you, God hasn't fulfilled his promise, you have to drop back into the I don't understand but I trust you place. Trust says you mean me no harm, you intend good for me. Or you will remain separated from the one place you get your needs met and your prayers answered. Truth that changes you comes over the bridge of trust in the way that it affects your life. Faith responds to God's challenge. By faith Abraham went out. By faith Peter walked on the water. Both of them responded to God's call. God took the initiative. They responded. And what about faith and knowledge then? Andrew Murray in his book Waiting on God says this, The great lack of our faith is that we do not know God. He goes on to say, the answer to every complaint of feebleness and failure ought simply to be, what is the matter? Have you not God? If you really believe in God, he will make everything all right. God is able and willing through his Holy Spirit. Cease from expecting the least good from yourself or the least help from anything there is in man. Just yield yourself unreservedly to God to work in you. He will do all for you. The great lack of our faith is that we do not know God. Beloved, that's the root and branch of our difficulties with believing, trusting and having faith, call it what you will, in God. We do not actually know this great God of ours whose love is ever towards us. Isaiah 55 8 says this and I'm using the NIV here <clears throat> for my thoughts are not your thoughts neither are your ways my ways declares the Lord as the heavens are higher than the earth so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and don't return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that yield seed for the sower and bread for the eater so is my word that goes out from my mouth, it will not return to me empty, 
but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. Here we see God's determined purpose. It shall not return to me void, but shall accomplish that for which I sent it. God wants us to understand how his mind works and understand his ways. It's vital that we understand the ways and the thoughts of God. If you don't understand the ways of God, you won't understand the schemes of the devil either. No promise in scripture is ever empty. Every one is meant to have lasting fulfillment for us. But most of the promises in the Bible are propositional or conditional. We looked at those words when we started today. When you read through scripture with an open heart, the Bible depicts God as being eager to give his children good things without any kind of preference or partiality. However, it's really important that we understand that as well as blessing us and fulfilling his promises, at the same time God is training us and developing our faith to a place of increased anointing so we can go on to receive bigger and greater things. So in every situation, God will deliver you to a process of growth and established truth. So this process of growth that God is delivering us to is so important to understand because that's the way he'll teach you how to turn promises into provision. It is in the process that God commits us to that we actually grow in relationship with him because he shows us his thoughts and he demonstrates his ways to us if we stick with the process. No promise is empty. With God nothing shall be impossible and no word from God shall be without power or impossible of fulfilment. That's Luke one thirty seven in the Amplified. For with God nothing is ever impossible and no word from God shall be without power or impossible of fulfilment. The biggest hindrance to a life of faith is a rational mindset where everything has to be analysed and in so doing faith is destroyed and we stand in a paralysis of analysis. A young Christian man I knew many years ago was a rational thinker and one day God showed him a picture of a beautiful daisy which he was closely scrutinising and pulling apart petal by petal. He was systematically destroying his own faith by looking at everything through a microscope and wanting an explanation for everything. How many times has God said something to you and instantly your mind kicks in and you begin telling yourself how stupid that would be until you don't do what he's told you to do. Beloved, when heaven comes down you won't have an explanation for anything. You don't think your way into faith. When you believed, you believed in your heart and your head followed. You didn't think that sounds like a good idea, sort of fireproofing against what could happen. I think I'll have some. You opened your inmost being up to God and said, please come in, I need you. Shortly after that, maybe for some of us, the mind kicked in and started analysing just about everything thus destroying your faith almost as soon as you had a seed of it. Parable of the Sower. Your mind is either your friend or your enemy, and either way it needs to be renewed. 
or as Bob, Bob Mumford would say, be transformed by the removal of your mind. I think that's a good one. It's so important in your own life that you have a testimony about the nature of God for you, who he is for you. You cannot live on someone else's faith. They may move, but you won't. The loving kindness, the Hebrew word is chesed of God, is from everlasting to everlasting. We learn to have faith, to trust, not in the power of God, but in God himself, his nature. And like Abraham we say, I know you. It is the nature of God to deliver people. It is the nature of God to heal people. It is the nature of God to save people. It is the nature of God to show himself mighty on our behalf. You have to know what God is like experientially from your own experience and separate out what he is in himself from what he's doing. I, the Lord, change not. I think that his immutability, his unchangeableness in the face of all my vicissitudes, which is my variableness and my up and downness, is what I love about him most right now. I am the Lord. I never, ever change. Your security doesn't rest on what he's going to do, but who he is. Everything God does with us is relational. So if you haven't passed over the bridge of trust yet, you cannot properly exercise faith because faith is inexorably linked to the person and nature of God. If you don't know him, you won't put your foot over the boat and start walking on water when he says to. So faith and believing spring from a knowledge of him. Check your history with God. What have you learned about him, his ways, his character? That is the basis of your trust and your faith. You pass over that bridge of faith which is held up by the pillars of trust into knowledge and you go from faith to knowledge. You know by experience. <coughs> Excuse me. Faith is based on knowledge and hearing. His word tells you what is like. You speak it out, you hear it, belief comes, which leads to knowledge. Declaration is such an important part of our walk with him. I know you, Lord. I'm so confident in you. I trust you. That is your declaration, even if you don't feel like it. Or should I say, especially when you don't feel like it. Unanswered prayer. We do have to address one last point. Unanswered prayer. Our prayers are often unanswered because we couldn't quiet ourselves long enough to hear what he had to say or wanted to do in any given situation. We reel off multiple choices for God to answer and he doesn't seem to answer any of them. So we start again with a new set. Been there, seen it, done it. 
Prayer is primarily about us listening to God, not speaking to him. Sometimes he's saying wrong question, ask something else. We need to sharpen our listening skills. When you have listened, then you may get permission to speak, or even better, to craft a prayer. We may get a prophetic word or words and nothing seems to happen or the reverse happens. Most often we have no revelatory rationale for what's happening and we either blame the prophet or God and lapse into unbelief about what God has said. The truth is we are again in a place of not understanding the ways of God and his process with us. There's a long gap, sometimes many years, between prophecy spoken and prophecy fulfilled. The interim is our training and proving ground to bring us to the place where not only do we trust him, but he can, he can trust us with what he wants to give us. So what are we seeing? Is God the one who has it wrong? Or is it us? Is it not? that we haven't understood him when he says his ways are our ways and his thoughts are not our thoughts. Every one of us needs a secret life in God, our personal, private, not-to-be-shared life. It's our intimate life, a husband and wife life. It's that which needs to be developed and that is one of the Holy Spirit's jobs which he loves he will teach you about intimacy with the Father and Jesus. We're all on a journey into the heart of God and trust, believing, faith, experience and knowledge are part of the journey. What we think about God is the single most important thing in our lives. Depending on you, how you see and perceive God, your trust and or faith will be up or down. If he's critical, judgmental and harsh, you cannot approach him. So what will your faith be like? There won't be much expectation of answered prayer there. Faith has the nature and character of God at its heart. And here we come to another bridge. We cross the bridge marked faith and come to knowledge. Our statement becomes, I know you. God is good. I've experienced his goodness every day. I've passed from faith to knowledge by experience. It's a process which I'm still in and will be until Jesus comes. Man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Buttons, not the panic one, the pause one, then proceed to the play button. God's answer to any question you like to ask is always the same me. I'm the answer because everything is yes and amen in Christ Jesus. The antidote to fear and worry is rest and trust. Failure to learn from our own mistakes and life generally means that we are doomed to repeat performances. There is a better way to live, a more excellent way. The role and function of the Holy Spirit is to make us feel bad when we are bad. That's part of his job description. It's called conviction, it's not condemnation. So I trust there's nobody here or listening on the CD who is feeling condemned. 
what you could be feeling probably is conviction conviction about your own beliefs which need to change he's the one he's the object of our confidence we must practice thanksgiving and gratitude I trust you so I'm going to give you thanks you learn to change your inner state to a place of security in the Lord whenever life brings an earthquake you go into the secret place and wait Psalm 91 practice that as a way of life as a lifestyle when you stop praising you lose trust and become vulnerable to the things around you always rejoice always give thanks and remember to smile Amen thank you for listening God bless you